looked like a good time. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in the youth anymore, to be honest with you. Uh, for seven years, I was with the youth. It's hard. I used to go back from those things. My legs would be killing me for days. I knew I was getting old when we were playing basketball one day. I don't want to take too long. But the kid was charging on me, and I knew he was going left. And I go, go left, go left. And my legs were like, no way, you're not going left. So there I am standing there, and he brushed past me. So listen, um, as we open up our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 26, we're going to talk about certain aspects of prayer. Uh, but I need for you guys to pray with me. As you know, um, this is not my full-time job. I work, uh, I work for the city of Chicago. And that means last night at 10 o'clock, I went in uh, to, to plow the city streets. So what I want to ask you guys is that you would ask God to take that away. I, I'll, I'll, I'll work. It, it doesn't matter to me if I work, but I just can't risk Sunday morning. So I can't risk it. Um, so it's better for me not to have to explain to them that I have to leave. So I know God can do this. He's in charge of the weather. So we're going to ask him to do that. Okay. Um, and another thing is, as, as I was, uh, as I was going through, uh, the watches about five o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm hitting my lamps and, and I'm listening to Timothy Keller speak on Romans chapter eight. And, uh, I'm listening to Jesus. I'm listening to him explain the passion of Christ on the cross and, and how he's under this intense, this weight, this intense weight of hell. And he's praying, he's praying prayers of praise from the pits of hell. And, uh, that's why Paul could say, I'm sorry, it took a little bit uh, louder. He could say, that's why he could say, therefore, there now is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You, we, we have a tendency to think this. Well, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if I do the right stuff. That's, that's not what's being said. God says this. He says, in Christ Jesus, those who have put their faith, God condemned condemnation. That means nobody has the right to condemn or bring a charge of accusation against one who has been claimed by Christ. And I cried, I was crying, because what an amazing God that God has done this for me. And I can honestly say I am very undeserving of it. But I just want you to have that one thought in your mind as we pray right now. Father God, we, we want to pray to you, Lord God, and give you thanks. Uh, thanks for everything that you're doing. Thanks for everything... Everything that you've done, I want to thank you that when you, when you came down, it was never hidden from you. Nothing was hidden from you, Lord God. Everything was laid bare. You knew exactly what you were going to have to do for exactly the right people that you were doing it for. It wasn't like a shotgun blast, Lord God. It was a deliberate thing. And when you died for us, Lord God, you died for our past, our present, and our future. And now, Lord God, we are with you forever, and nothing can separate us from you. So, Lord God, what we need more than anything else is we need closeness with you, nearness with you. Because ultimately, Lord God, I have to go away. I have to leave so that you can be exalted. And that's not just me. We all got to do that. So, Lord God, the only way that's going to happen is if we get really, really close. We need to be in your presence so that you can burn off the old flesh. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Matthew 26, verse 36 this is after the Seder Supper, the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus kind of tells them some things that they don't want to hear. 
and then he's overwhelmed. So I don't want to uh, give it away, but in verse 36, it says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and his two, ton, the two sons of Zebedee along with him, that's John and James, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. What it says that, he's, he's overwhelmed by sorrow and trouble. He's starting to feel weight. Now, I want you to imagine it, because that's what I do when I read these scriptures. I, I want you to imagine he's starting to feel heaviness. He's like, at, at one point he even says, my sorrow is crushing me to death. This is what he suffered. This is the passion he suffered for us. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father. Now listen, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Pay attention to those words because they're really, really important. Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You see, your spirit, it's willing, but your flesh, it's weak. Verse 42, then he went away a second time and he prayed. Now he prays a different prayer. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from me unless I drink it, may your will be done. He prays it two times now. Now verse 43, when he comes back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy with sorrow. So he left them again, and he went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same things. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's, it's, it's easy to point at them and go, man, didn't you know the significance of this hour? And I'm going to be honest with you. No, I don't think it was. I don't think it's for me to point at them. If I was with them, I got to be honest, I might have been doing the same thing. There's a good chance I would have been doing the same thing. He goes, are you still sleeping? Look at the hour. It has come. The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. For here comes my betrayer. This is God's word. Now that's powerful word. Last week, we looked at some of the aspects of prayer. It all starts from God. Remember, we said that. Last week, we looked at, at, at this issue, and we said everything flows from our relationship with God. It is my belief that if I want to grow in anything, if I want to be a better husband, and I'm going to be honest, I've been married 26 years, I need to be a better husband. I do. My wife deserves it. I'm not a good listener. Sometimes I'm not a good communicator. Um, I need to grow better as being a husband. If I want to grow better at being a better husband, then I need to grow better in my intimacy with God. That's the way it works. If I want to be a better father, and I want my kids to have a good father, I want them to have a good relationship, but I can't become a better father unless I get closer to my God. It all flows from him. If I want to be a better son, I have to be more intimate, more in tune. I have to be closer with God. Even if I want to be a better employee, I have to be closer to God because for some reason, this is, it's being in relationship with him. That's where I am the most deeply transformed. If I'm apart from him, I'm doing this in my own strength. And I don't know about you, but I've tried many things in my own strength. And I only get so much results. But when I turn myself over to him, when I focus more on him, fixing my eyes on him, he seems to take me way further and much deeper than I could have ever gotten in my own strength. 
Is that just me or is that anybody else here? So it all flows from our relationship with God. Okay, let's look at this. So if you're going to write something down, this is a good thing to write down. I'm going to say this time and time again. Cultivating an intimate relationship with God is the most important thing a Christian can do. That is an everyday thing. It takes effort. It takes labor. But I want to say this. If you know the goodness of God, that labor is never burdensome. It's not something that you wear on your back and you're like, man, I don't want to carry this anymore. Once you've tasted it, yes, you will feel the weight. Yes, you will sweat. Yes, you will put effort. But it will be a labor of love. It will be something that you will not want to say no to. So cultivate your intimacy with the Lord. Amen? Okay. What does it mean when I cultivate? I, there are certain things that happen when I cultivate my relationship with the Lord. Because of his commitment to me, his love for me, his love for us, I know that we now have value. Okay? What is value? That means I no longer have to strive for the affirmation of a world around me. I don't know about you, but from the time I was in high school like you, I strived for acceptance. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be accepted by every cool kid there was. I wanted to be uh, invited to every party. And the truth of the matter is, I wasn't. I wasn't. I strived for it. I strived for these things. Then when I went to work, I thought to myself, well, I have to become like everybody else around me. And I, I worked in the finance industry. And I thought, well, now I have to become a millionaire. And the truth is, I sold myself out to get this approval that even if I got it, it never, ever seemed to fill the void. Does that make sense to anybody? So because of God's love for us, we can now say we have value. We no longer need to conform to the patterns around us. Just because they do things, I don't have to do them because I know a new truth, a new reality, an ultimate reality. Here's another part. In my cultivation with my relationship with the Lord, we have significance. That means this. We have been brought into God's eternal game plan. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 15. He takes his disciples and he tells them he's going to die. Now, you got to see it, right? He tells them he's going to die. He's going to be turned over to the high priest. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to hear this. Then he says to them, no longer do I call you slaves. But I, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because all these things I have heard from my father and I have made them known to you. When he says this, I have made them known to you, it's not like the father whispered in Jesus' ear and then Jesus whispers in our ear. When he says I've made it known to you, that means he is sharing his mission with you and me. Just like Anthony said, I'm going to tell you this right now. Jesus shares his mission of salvation with his children. You are here for the good works of his kingdom, bringing people into his presence, nurturing them, holding them, praying for them, supporting them. That's what we've been called to. That's what he says he's given to his disciples. We, have been we are now sharing in the mission and purpose of Christ. We are his ambassadors. We are more than ambassadors. We are his body. Here's the third part. We have identity. God our Father is molding us into Jesus' image. His desires now become, with a growing, increasing measure, our desire. When I, before Christ, I had lots of desires. They weren't always sinful, but they weren't always godly. Like, here's one for you. I wanted to retire rich. Well, you know what? Now I'm 26 years at work, and I realize that's just not going to happen. And you know what else I understand? I can chase a buck, 
But if I chase a buck, I can't be where God wants me to be any particular hour. So there's costs. There's things that happen when you understand your identity. So when you start to grow with an increasing measure, his desires become our desires, the things that he notices on earth, we begin to notice. Think of this. Think of your week as you're going through the week. What are the things that you notice? What are the things that kind of stick in your mind? Of all the things you see as you're driving around, one of the things that I see that kind of just really grabs hold of me is how many young people are homeless. I mean, that's the largest demographic in the city from 18 to 25. And I think to myself, oh, my God, they need to be saved. This generation is in big trouble. And you know what? I'm one man. But I'll tell you this, we can pray with the same urgency that God places inside of us because this is something that Jesus notices. Here's another thing. When we're in this close relationship with God, the things that he gets angry at, we can get angry at. You're like, wait a minute, you can't get angry if you're angry. That's not true. You just can't sin while you're angry. Can I tell you, there's a lot of things. You know what I hate? Certain things. I hate when husbands leave their families. I hate it. I want to grab them and I want to slap them. Yeah, that's right. I want to have the, 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 the right hand of Christ. You know what? I can't stand it. I can't stand when people tell me a lie. Well, I, I love her, but I'm just not in love with her. And I'm like, stop that, or there'll be police here. Because I don't like it. But because I'm not allowed to do that, the only response that I can have is to pray. Pray for marriages. These are things that would happen. And there's a third thing. What makes God cry? Where's your deep relationship with him? You will cry about it. I cry. Like I told you the other day, I saw all these little kids. There was about 30 of them. And I laugh because I always laugh when I see kids. They're just so kind of clueless and funny. And as I passed them about 10 feet, all I could do was get overwhelmed with, just wept bitterly because I didn't want the world to snatch them. So this is what happens when you know that you have value, significance, and identity as you're close. You're cultivating that relationship with the Lord, okay? Let's go to the next part. Okay, so the scripture we looked at today uh, was the Last Supper. We call it the Last Supper. But this is more about the Last Supper. This is the final act of the Last Supper. It's the cap. It's the top of the top, okay? For us to understand this scripture the best we can, we have to look at it in the context in which it's given. That's one of the things that, it's another thing that really bugs me. Sometimes we'll take scriptures and we'll take one verse and remove it from the context in which it's given and give it completely different meanings. Well, this is what happens. Um, he takes, the evening starts with Jesus orchestrating the entire night. I want you to remember this, write this down. Jesus is in control. He's in control. From the moment he starts to the moment he ends, nothing is by chance. He doesn't wait on anything. He orchestrates everything. A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Jesus is not a victim. He is not an innocent, clueless lamb being led to the slaughter. He was not murdered. He sacrificed himself. That is an infinite difference. It is an infinite difference, and it should give us incredible strength. It should give us incredible encouragement because he ordered everything from the top to the bottom. This leads us to our first point. When we pray, it is important, one of the most important aspects of our prayer, to remember that God is in control. 
it is important for us to remember that God is in control. He is never unaware. Sometimes when bad things happen in my life, I have a tendency to go, hey, are you paying attention to me? You ever do that? I do it. And I'm tempted to say, hey, Lord, I know you're paying attention, but I really don't feel it right now. But faith and feeling are not the same thing. Faith stands firm opposite of feeling. Remember that. So we, uh, uh, so he's never unaware. He is never taken by surprise. God does not ever need to call an emergency meeting to formulate a plan of action when things go bad. You know, one of the things that I, 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 I don't want to take too long, but I, I can tell you sometimes with the way our government goes and the people that get into positions of power, sometimes I watch that so much that I forget certain things. As powerful as these men are, God placed Pharaoh in the position that he was for him to be glorified. Remember that. Always remember that. The greatest men who have ever lived, ever walked on the earth, they were given life for one purpose and one purpose only. Even if they chose not to follow the Lord but to resist him, they are there to do what God wills so that he could be glorified. That is an important thing for us to remember if we're going to be persistent and victorious in prayer. Because we are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 28 and 29 tells me, we as his children can always begin from a place of security and confidence. Every single day, we can have confidence. He's not going to turn his back on me. He's not going to change his mind about me. He's not looking at something else and not aware of me. He hasn't gone to the other side of the earth, and now I'm kind of hanging out there on my own. He is always the same every day, and he is always unchangeable in our life. And that's important for us to remember because, remember, I'm, I'm a, I don't want to be a spoiler, but prayer is not what we sometimes want to make it to be. Sometimes we want to make it to be prayer where we change God's mind. We get him to go along with our program. But I don't think that that's what prayer is. I think prayer is designed for us, for him to get us in line with his program. That's, that's the purpose and the point of prayer. So I have to remember that he is the Elohim. He is the God of creation. Remember last week we looked at Psalms 95, verse 4 and 5. It says this, in his hands are the depths of the earth, the height of the mountains are also his. The seas are his, for he made them, and in his hands they formed the dry lands. To be connected to Elohim, the God of creation, we, because we're connected, now have been connected to an eternal plan. The reason I told you about those, the, the, the identity in Christ is because it helps me make decisions. You and I have to make decisions, multiple decisions, every day of our life. Am I going to do this or am I going to do that? You know, at the beginning of the year, there were spots. I, I could tell you a million times. You could tell me a million times how this happened. And there was these spots. They're called lead men spots where you go to a, 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 a snow lodge and you overlook the vehicles and you work intense amount of overtime. But it pays. It pays really, really good. And I've been 24 years and I'm thinking to myself, hey, you know what? Maybe it's time for me to take one of those spots. But because I knew my identity in Christ, I realized I can't be there and here at the same time. You have to choose daily. If I know who I am, I don't go to someone else's house. And if I do end up in someone else's house, I quickly realize I'm not in my house and I go back to my house. 
I know that when the doors open to this congregation, I need to be here until he sends me somewhere else. And that's not just me. If this is your home, if this is your family, that's true for you as well. Just like Anthony said, this is not just going to church and spectating and seeing what God's doing. It's participation. It's being part of. God has an eternal purpose for everything he does. Remember that. He has an eternal purpose for everything that he creates and allows. Sometimes we don't like that. That's a very frightening thought. That means sometimes God will allow things in our life, and you're like, how could this be good? And sometimes you're never going to have an immediate answer. How is it that I've been married for 22 years, and it is a mess, and it's been a mess from the very beginning? How is that good for me? How is it good for me that you give me a baby with special needs, and I could barely take care of the children I have? How is it good for me that I lost my job and I'm 59 years old? How is it good for me that I just got a cancer notice? And we're, we have a tendency to question God like that. But I assure you, because of what we have learned in Romans 8, 28 and 29, everything works together for his glory and our ultimate good. That means we have been connected to a greater purpose. And I'm going to tell you something. That has been the greatest. I was just talking to this brother right here. There is nothing more powerful in my life than being connected to a greater purpose. That's all I ever wanted. But my purposes back then were ignorant. I thought it was to be popular. I thought it was to be the life of the party. I thought it was to have money and to have good times and go on vacations and party it up. And now I realized it was a waste of time. God says, you know what the greatest thing you could do is become a servant to all. That's what he tells me. And you know what? When I have a tendency to question or to push back or to ask, really, is this what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life because I know my identity? I can only make that argument for a short amount of time. It's just the way it works. Okay, going back to the Last Supper, Jesus was starting to feel the beginning of labor pains. You're like, wait a minute, labor pains? Yes. Who here's had children? You know how that works, right? <laughs> yeah, you guys know how that works. Well, one day you're fine, kind of fine. You're kind of achy and set, and then all of a sudden something happens. It switches, and all of a sudden you start to feel an intense pain that you've never felt before, right? And it's really deep inside. And then it starts to increase. That's what Jesus is starting to feel. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, how could Jesus be feeling labor pains? Because when he went to cross, that's when he gave birth to the church. I want you to remember this. Christ gave birth to you on that cross. He did this. He paid for you with his flesh, his flesh, his blood, his decisions. He did it for you personally, not just nebulously like I was part of a big group. No, no, no. Individually. That's what the scripture tells me. This goes back to my identity. That's why it's very hard once you know this to say no to it. Once you know what he's done for you, you specifically, it's very hard, at least for me, to tell him no. Because he gave everything for me to be here. Can I get an amen? All right. So Jesus always knew his mission. Nothing was ever hidden from him. And he never wavered. This gives me great confidence. Remember that. Great confidence. That's where we start our day in prayer. Okay. Jesus' disciples, even though they were with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three and a half years, 
really did not have full understanding. They thought Jesus came to bring Israel into a golden era. They thought he was there to kick Rome up, out, and set up Israel as a global empire. The disciples were blinded by two things because of their flesh. First, human desires. They thought certain things were valuable, but Jesus was there to tell them, yeah, what you value is fool's gold. Remember what Jesus says. Always remember this. He says this, what does it matter if you gain the entire world but forfeit your soul? He goes, what does that benefit you? So they were, they were blinded by human desires, and the other thing, they were blinded by human understanding. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, even though we have the Holy Spirit and we do have knowledge, we don't have perfect knowledge. And even though God gives us perfect knowledge, I don't know about you, but I can't always comprehend it. Is that, is that just me? Listen, sometimes he's doing things that I just don't really get it. I have a tendency to want to rationalize it and run away from it or run around it. And that's what they're doing. Let's go to the disciples. Because they were, they were blinded by human desires and human understanding, they're jockeying for key positions, high-ranking positions within the cabinet. I want you to think about that. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and they're getting ready to say, hey, I should be the defense minister. Remember, I was right there. Hey, I demand to be the, the finance minister. And you know what? No, no, no. You shouldn't be the finance minister. I should be the finance minister. Why should you be the right-hand man? I should be the vice president, not you. I'm the second. And they're fighting back and forth, and Jesus is watching them, right? He's just silently sitting there, and he's watching them. And remember what he does? He stands up from the floor, goes to the back of the room, fills up a water basin, strips his tunic off, puts an apron around his waist, and gets, he gets a, a, a linen, and he walks up to, now, he walks up to the lowest guy in the room, the least important guy, because that's the way they did things back then. And he gets down on the knees, and he starts to wash their feet. This gets everybody's attention. You know why? Because this is absolute humility. It's absolutely humiliating to be that person. I want you to think about that. As everybody else has got human desires and they're trying to get from God what they think they want, what they think is good, Jesus, in tune with his Father, realizes the most important thing is that he stay the course and be the lowest man in the room. Remember, remember that when you're praying. This is so shocking, it begins to make the people in that room very, very uncomfortable. This is an extreme act of humility. Not even the least important person would have ever considered doing this. They're like, I'll cook the meal, I'll serve the meal, I'll clean up after the meal, but I'm not touching nobody's feet. You know what? Honestly, they would pay someone to do that job. Usually a foreigner. That kind of shows you where the heart of the people are. No self-respecting Jew washes feet. But the king of kings, he washed feet. I mean, I, I got I to gotta say, man, that's, that's a prayer in itself. Lord God, help me to be willing to wash feet. You know, it would be one thing for me to wash your feet, because you guys will all take notice. But it's another thing for me to wash my wife's feet when she might not do what I, I respond the way that I do. 
right? It's always easier for me to go help you paint your house or clean your garage. But when my wife wants me to clean my garage, I've been working 16 hours for the last three days. I don't want to do this no more. You know, these are kind of things that being close, we all laugh because we all know it's true. So ultimately, he's doing this thing. This is not what a king should be done. This is not what a conquering hero should be done. Jesus is teaching you and I, his disciples, a very powerful lesson. Here it is right here. We could stop the sermon at this point, but we're not. Ready? It's not going to be comfortable. We do not live solely for our own purposes and preferences. Our pleasure now is to do what pleases God most. Remember what Jesus said, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus, over the next few hours, lays out in vivid detail what's going to happen next. Everyone is overwhelmed with grief. Everyone is confused. Some are even in denial. Jesus does not exempt himself from feeling agony. The God of gods, the king of kings, the one who speaks all things in creation. He chooses, he chooses to sit immersed in pain. I hate pain. Does anybody like it? Don't raise your hand. Because that means you're a crazy person. I hate pain. And you know what I have a tendency to do because I'm an ex-addict? Look for ways to run off of it. Jesus chose to sit in the middle of it. I want you to remember that because this is going to be instrumental when we think about aspects of prayer. Suffering, this is one of them, is an essential part of God's process of perfecting his children. God uses discomfort to perfect us. God uses discomfort and pain to cleanse us. God uses pain and discomfort to transform us. There is a very real temptation of pastors, teachers, anyone who holds the word of God to remove suffering from gospel living. But I'm going to tell you something. That's a false gospel. That's a false gospel. I know that that makes people uncomfortable, but if I remove suffering from what God is leaving us into, perfecting us in this world that he has given us to, then I'm not teaching you the truth. It is a very real temptation to remove the idea of suffering from gospel living. Listen to what Paul says. Paul considered the idea of suffering with Christ an honor and a privilege that is equal to having faith and trusting and serving God. He's like, man, what a privilege it is to even believe in Jesus Christ, to live for him, to minister in his name. And he goes, and to suffer for his glory. Peter, he understood it. He's like, listen, if you want to live a truly righteous life, a truly, and righteousness is closeness with God, you're going to suffer. This is the way it's going to work. God is going to allow suffering in your life. As the Seder dinner comes to an end, Jesus takes his disciples through the city, along the back wall, and out one of the sheepskin pens. That's another thing. That's a little note, a little tidbit right there. He leaves and comes back in through the sheepskin. Why? Because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They go along the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? Because he needed to be near his Father. 
in this world of uncertainty, in this world of opposition, in this world of hard times, difficulties, we need to be near our Father. We need to be near him, close to him. I want you to understand this. Here's another thing to write down. The inheritance of the gospel, the inheritance of Christ is not heaven. It's nearness to God. God is the gift of salvation. It's not some place we go where the streets are filled with gold uh, uh, sidewalks and, and there are pearly gates. That's only a, a, an ash of what God has. He, has. he has intimate relationship. That's the greatest gift that he could give you and I. That's what we aim for. We need to be near our Father in heaven every minute of every day. And it's hard. It's going to be hard. It's never going to be easy. So overwhelmed was Jesus at what was coming, he was beginning to feel the full weight of sin. It is literally, at this point, crushing him. That's what it says in Ezekiel. He is like a grape under a wine press. He's being crushed out as an offering, a drink offering to God. Sometimes God will cause great emotional and spiritual distress in our life for a purpose of purifying, perfecting. You think to yourself, well, Jesus didn't need to be perfected. That's not what it says in Hebrews. Hebrews says that Jesus suffered to become the perfect high priest. Dave, I thought he was already perfect. Yes, but there was something in the process that needed to happen for Jesus to become my perfect high priest. So if Jesus has to go through it, we have to go through it. Okay? Let's go to the next part. Okay, let's think about this. Sometimes when we pray, and maybe you'll agree with me, maybe you won't, we will tell God what we think he wants to hear instead of risking exposure and the discomfort of, the, the discomfort of vulnerable truth. That means I'm going through some, something, and instead of telling him how much I feel dread over this, my heart is aching over this, how I don't feel like I can carry this anymore with my stomach, I'll say to him, well, Lord God, I know that you're faithful, I know that you're true, and all those things are right. Or I'll say to him, you know, Lord God, I'm tired, but I know that there are so many other saints out there that are suffering right along with me. So we'll minimize it, we'll downplay it. But that's not what Jesus does. I want you to get that. Jesus is not downplaying anything. He is literally exposing everything to his Father. He is in absolute intimacy with him. We can have that intimacy with the Lord Jesus. We can have that intimacy with God. You have difficulties, you're to pray out all that. You're to lament in his presence. I'm telling you, there's something beautiful that happens in lamenting. There is a perfection that happens in lamenting. Remember what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Children of God will mourn in the presence of God. We don't downplay it. We don't overlook it. And I'm going to tell you why I think we don't oftentimes lament. Because I think sometimes we as Christians think we need to shut off honest emotion because it shows lack of faith. If I tell you my agony, somehow I'm telling you that I have little faith. I can remember one time I used to, I, I'm a person with, I, I, I have, I wouldn't call it anxiety, but it's close. <laughs> And there was this guy, Herb, he was a great guy at my first church, and he's like, it's a sin to be worried. And I used to think, like, oh my gosh, it's a sin to be worried. I'm sinning every day. Because I was worried. 
because I was worried. I was worried about the future. I was worried about the finances. I was worried about my wife and my son. I was worried about everything. And you know what? He said, don't do that because that's a sin. Don't, don't listen to that. Jesus Christ said everything. He lamented in the presence of his time. Listen to this. Anxiety, deep sadness, even depression is not a sinful lack of faith. It is honesty. You live in a broken world. We struggle with a broken flesh. And you live amongst the people who are just as broken as we are. I want you to remember that. And my good friend John, John DeLong says this to me. I would go to him because I, I, I needed accountability. And I would say to him, man, I've got all these struggles. I've got all these pains. Try to get away from it. He goes, Tom, the only way you can get through the pain, you can get out from the pain, is to go through the pain. You have to go through the pain. When we pray, we should pray with emotion. We should pray with a certain amount of lament. When we're ecstatic and we're happy, we're, we're, we're riding high, let's shout out our praises. But when we're overwhelmed with sadness, let us cry out to the Lord. How many of us have woken up at 3 in the morning? Anybody wake up at 3 in the morning and realize you can't go back to sleep? Man, God, that's a great opportunity in your day. Maybe God is whispering in your ear. It's like, hey, get up. Spend some time with me. Lament with him. Think about your pain. You know what? There's no shame. There's no shame in crying out to the Lord. I'm lonely. Do you know how many Christians are lonely? You know how many Christians are overwhelmed? They don't know how they're going to make ends meet? You know how many Christians are like, man, I, I still am struggling with this one thing that I just can't let go, whether it be a bad relationship or a compulsive behavior. They have nowhere to go. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to your Father in heaven. I'll stand right here as the mediator between you and your Father. Pour it out on the throne of grace. That's what we're supposed to do. We're to lament. Lament. There is a beautiful, transforming intimacy that happens when we lament with the Lord. And we are invited to lament with the Lord. Think about those psalms. There's one of the psalms. I could go on forever. This guy Asaph. You know what he says? He goes, I look around and I see sinful people. They're prospering all over the place. And you know what he said? He goes, I started to think that I was following the Lord for nothing. And then he goes on to say, I almost told the congregation what I was thinking. He goes, I was slipping right into the pit. And he goes, until I came back into your sanctuary and I saw you high and lifted up. I saw you exalted. Can I tell you something? Man, there is nothing wrong with telling the Lord exactly what you're feeling. Very respectful, but incredibly honest. This is a woman who works incredible amounts of, of hours. It's okay to say, God, I'm tired. I have nothing left. This is a sister who had a brother who was on the verge of, of four months of not eating. I don't want my brother to die. I don't want my brother to die. I'm overwhelmed with sadness. Please meet me in this place. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't become one of those Christians that paints on the, the Christian makeup. I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. Yes, you are blessed and highly favored, but that doesn't mean you won't hurt. And you know what? My God tells me that he cares about my pain. Here, number two, we yield. Remember what Jesus said. Take this cup away from me. If there's any other way, he's asking for another direction. 
It's not a sin. God, I know what you're telling me to do. I don't want to do it. I've been struggling. I'm working three jobs, and I'm about six months now. I'm angry. I'm like, man, when I'm tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore. And you know what I tell him? Does he give me an answer? Yeah. Go back to work. I know that that sounds cold and sounds harsh, but I'm just going to tell you something. My God knows me better than I know me. And you know what? For me, he knows what keeps me grounded. You know what keeps me grounded? Responsibility. You know what? If I get free time, that's not a good thing. And he's like, I know you, son. I know you. Jesus said, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, take it away from me. Jesus does not want to go down this path. He is going to experience the burning agony of separation. He is beginning to feel the aching loneliness of hell. I want you to understand this. For those who have not committed to Christ Jesus, that's what you can look forward to. Jesus will let you. God will let you be the God of your own kingdom. But in the end, what you will feel is burning, aching loneliness. Jesus was feeling his bones wasting away. It said at one point that his tongue was sticking to the roof of his mouth. His bones felt like they were pulling from their joints. That's the agony that he was feeling. And why did he do that? For love. But Jesus had supreme trust in his father's plan. In his father's plan. So you know what he does? He yields. Remember what he says. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. At the end of the day, we always have to come back to that place. Listen, big point. Here's a big point. We're getting close to the end. Prayer is not intended to change God's mind in order for him to go in my direction. It is intended to get me in line with his direction. It is intended to build my faith, to build my trust, and to strengthen me as he sends me forward. That's why we need to pray. That's why we need to remember. That's why we need to yield. Because God wants to use us in a vibrant way. Do you understand? We're standing at the place. I believe this is a fertile ground. But you know what that means? Everyone must say, count me in. And when I say count me in, that means I'll be here 30 minutes after. That means when there's a project or something we're meeting together, I'll be there. Yes, I'll contribute. You can count on me. I don't want to do it. I, I'm going to miss this or I'm going to miss that. You know what? I, the world's full of stuff that's constantly barking at us. Come over here. Come over here. Do this. Get that. Come over here. And Jesus is saying, that stuff's not what you were created for. You were created for me. And you know what he promises? That if we give in and yield, he says we will find the true meaning of life. We will, tr- we will find life. The other way gives us empty promises that are never fulfilled. I want you to remember this. Prayer is always a place where we are rigorously honest. Okay, our prayers must always come back to one place. Thy will be done. I may not like it. I can lament about it. But I always have to come back to this one place. I need to be surrendered. You need to be surrendered. We need to be surrendered. Always going back, remembering what Jesus did. You know what? There's a place that we can work on that here. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Think to yourself, I'm not an addict. I'm not in the 
purest sense of it, that we're all addicted. We're all addicted to bad thinking. We're all addicted to self, uh, self-behavior. We're all addicted to various things, listening to our own voice. And can I tell you something? I have found the clearest path for God to confront, to expose these things in my life. And he said, look at these things. I'll take them out. Just follow me one step at a time. You know what? This is what we have to be here. I'm going to finish up real soon. Amen? Okay, we're getting close to the end. The second, the third and last point is this. When we pray, we must confess. Remember this. Jesus says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Prayer is a place of rigorous honesty. It is a place of rigorous exposure. Nothing is hidden from God. Everything is exposed from God. Do you pray like that? I do. I do. I pray like that. You know why? Because I kind of know who I am by now. I'm 56 years old. I say, God, I got two choices here. If you keep giving me two choices, I'm going to take this choice. If that's not what you want me to do, I'm asking that you take this choice out. Get rid of it. Because if it's not your will, I won't listen. If it looks attractive to me, I'll go in that direction. Do you pray like that? Do you think you can pray like that? You know what? There's people, I have a, a few people that are single in my congregation over the last few years. And they're always like, man, I, you know, I can't even imagine what it's like to follow Christ at your age. I can't even imagine it. It's hard enough being married 56, yet 17 and 18. But these people are single, and they're like, man, I want to get married. I want to get married. And you know what they want to do? They want to go to those, those sites where you go online and you meet people, singles, whatever and ever. And I go, man, that's, that's dicey right there, bro. No, that's dicey. I've been alone. This one guy, he's like, I've been alone forever. I'm 59 years old. And you know what I told him? <laughs> I told him, sometimes it's better for you to be alone with the Lord than be with someone that's the wrong person. Remember that at the end, I must confess, the thing that blocks the path of surrender better than anything else is denial. When I will not admit to the Lord, I will not tell him the truth of what's going on in my life. I will not confess. I will not surrender. You know why? Because at the end, Jesus wants everything. There's implications. If you want to follow me, he says, I'm going to take from your life. I'm going to take from you. I'm going to call you to me, and I'm going to remove you from your place of authority, and I'm going to replace you in your life. That's what he does. So we must learn to confess. See, the Pharisees, they were great practitioners of denial. Jesus is a shining light, and he exposes the stains and the flaws of our heart. I want you to think about this last statement. Who had the hardest time with Jesus? Think about this. It was the most religious people in the land. It was the most morally disciplined people. You know why? Because Jesus exposed things in their heart, and they didn't want to see it. And every time he talked, they kept hardening their heart. And you know what? At the core of what we really want, apart from Christ, Self-rule, self-dependence, and self-judgment. I want to be in control. And you know what he's saying? No, this was all made by me. So we must learn to lament, yield, and confess. Let's stand up.
A lot of information, thank you for paying attention.